This podcast is brought to you by Save Amarillo Pack, asking you to vote against Propositions A, B, and C in the November Amarillo Municipal Bond election. Amarillo is broke. We don't need more debt. For more information about the bonds or to support Save Amarillo Pack, visit SaveAmarilloNow.com. Political ad paid for by Save Amarillo Pack, Hobart Brown, Treasurer. This is the Live in West Texas podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Warren, and thank you so much for being with us this week. Now, on to the program. Thank you very much for joining us again this week on the Live in West Texas podcast, and I'm excited to have Gus Trujillo back with us this week. I think Gus was on as one of our guests pretty early into our run on this podcast and so i'm excited to have you back uh you know and i think you're going to have a lot of things to update us on uh comparatively to where we were just a few months ago oh yeah yeah and i want to thank you for having me on again i know that uh, i'm trying to be out there as much as possible to inform the voters and yes we are uh, less than three weeks away from the election so it's a crazy time right now Well, you know, I've been seeing some of those new yard signs of yours popping up in town. And before we really get into everything, if somebody wants one of those nifty yard signs, uh, how can they go about getting one? Yeah, uh, the best way is to uh, email us at uh, info, that's I-N-F-O, at gustrujillo.com. So info at gustrujillo.com. And we uh, we still have some of those left, and uh, uh, we'll get them out as soon as we can to people. Excellent. So... Gus, you know, uh, for the people who are not aware, uh, you are the Democratic nominee for Congress here in Texas's 13th Congressional District. You won your runoff by a pretty healthy margin uh, just a few months ago, and you are the official nominee now. Uh, And it's a, I don't know how you would describe it. Usually it's kind of a strange election anyway here, uh, but it seems uh-huh. like it's even worse this year <laughs> with coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think I posed this question to you uh, the first time you were on, but I want to see if it's changed at all as far as uh, your take on this. You've been running this campaign for a while now. You were doing it in uh-huh. the beginning of the pandemic. Now, it you know, it kind of looked like things were starting to settle back down, and then we just got another spike here in Amarillo. And so uh, the – yeah. The coronavirus has been really hard on a lot of people, but from your standpoint as a candidate, um, how has it changed the way you're approaching dealing with voters on the campaign trail? Well, I know that, uh, yeah, it's it slightly changed since um, uh, the last time we spoke because uh, I think at that time, uh, but right before the primary runoff, uh, we were trying to do everything virtually, and uh, we still are doing a lot of that, but uh, now that things were starting to open up, uh, not only in Amarillo and Wichita Falls, but in the smaller uh, small town areas, 
Um, it's like you said, we got this recent news in, in Amarillo that the uh, cases are spiking up. And I, I remember seeing the news of uh, one of the uh, prisons getting uh, a thousand cases. And I thought, man, that's going to, that was shortly before uh, this new declaration happened. I thought this is going to actually get worse before it gets better. And, you know, and, you know, we were hoping it was going to be uh, behind us, but I think that uh, what we have to worry about now is uh, we are not in the winter months yet. I mean, it's been unseasonably warm uh, recently, and so I'm really worried about uh, winter time. And especially, uh, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. I'm especially worried about, uh, you know, Thanksgiving. I know that everybody is really eager to go out and be with their friends and, and family, and um, uh, I hope that that does not become a super spreader event. And uh, you know what? I would hopefully uh, have people. Um, uh, really take precautions. And, you know, if they do want to be with their families, I mean, it's it's going to be weird, but, you know, wearing masks and sanitizing and, and keeping distance, if at all possible, would really help. And so it's it's been quite a wild, uh, crazy ride with campaigning during a pandemic because I was just talking to, uh, I'm here in Wichita Falls now, and I was talking to some students yesterday and I told them, I said, well, because they asked a similar question. And I said, well, the biggest problem for me was that uh, uh, before the pandemic hit, I had all these plans of really going out, talking to masses and groups of, of people and um, huge groups. And then the pandemic hits and you have to change everything. It threw a wrench into things. And I thought, man, I'm really going to lose what I thought was my uh, competitive edge of uh, being visiting with people, getting to know them and uh, uh, really being a people person and visiting. So it, the pandemic really changed not only my campaign, but all campaigns, even the presidential one, of how we can campaign during a pandemic. And it's still quite serious because, uh, like we mentioned, uh, Amarillo has high cases again. And um, I don't even know if uh, you know I'm going to be able to have a watch party. We were actually in the middle of trying to plan a watch party, and um, I'm planning on having something. But uh, with the new cases, I mean, we're going to see where we can go with that now. It has changed a lot of things. And, you know, that was – evident uh when i early voted a few days ago you know uh even having oh, yeah. hand sanitizer stations and you know uh tape on the floor showing how far apart people would be spaced it's really a whole new world compared to how we were voting even back in march yeah it's you yeah, know definitely. it's really kind of a strange situation but you know putting that aside for a moment for people who may not know <clears throat> quite a bit about you just kind of refresh us on your background and uh, why you decided to run for congress this year well yeah my name uh, of course is gus trujillo and i am actually a uh, person i was born and raised in amarillo where i lived uh, all of my life i actually went to uh, all public schools i went to amarillo college and then west texas a&m university and uh, there in my uh, my last year at the west texas a&m i ended up uh, interning for Congressman Thornberry, who is, of course, uh, now the office that I'm trying to seek because he's uh, retiring. So I think a lot of people don't realize that I was uh, one of his old interns. And so I was a Democrat back then, uh, just as I am now. And, uh, you know, I am more of a moderate is what I consider myself because I like to listen to both sides of issues and try and come up with a common solution to help us move forward. And so uh, when I started running this campaign, I think uh, there's two parts to that question of why I ran. And it was the first big part was that, uh, you know, me being from Amarillo and just District 13 in general is that I wanted to really make a huge difference and help uh, our areas um, 
just really uh, thrive and prosper because uh, it seems like I know in my case, uh, it seems like a lot of my friends and uh, many of my other friends um, have the same issue where our buddies like move down to Austin or Dallas or Houston or, or California or wherever. And uh, they move there because there's, you know, bigger, better opportunities and, and all kinds of things to do and everything. And I've always had it on the back of my mind of, you know, how can I help our area uh, be better and uh, attract young people and keep them here. And so that's when I really started thinking about <clears throat> uh, thinking about running for Congress. And um, uh, I think the other part uh, as well that uh, is equally as important is that when the 2016 election happened, I already had like a, a small interest in running for office before then. And because uh, I, I started to really think about it like back in 2008. But um, I think that when I started seeing our country become more and more divided after 2016, I thought, man, we really have to have more candidates out there who are middle of the road, who are more centrist, or like in my case, I'm a, a moderate Democrat, who are willing to listen to people. And uh, and not only that, it's like if you win this office, you have to represent everybody, not just your side. So, um, you know, I, I think that me being a local, first and foremost, is a huge part of uh, me running for this race and trying to make a difference for my community, but also uh, just because I want to see our country unite and not divide as we've been seeing it lately with partisan politics. Well, speaking of partisan politics, you know, right now we're in the middle of the election. Uh, at the time we're recording this, I think early voting started two days ago. So we're a couple of days in now. Yeah. And one thing I've noticed people are talking about, and it seems kind of strange to me because I'm a newsie and so I... You know, I've been following this for a long time now, and uh, it's the issue of straight ticket voting. You know, when straight ticket voting went, I knew about it whenever it, it passed the legislature, but there are still people who are going and voting who don't realize that straight ticket voting is gone. So yeah. you were on the ballot this year as a general election candidate, the first cycle in many, many decades where there is no straight ticket voting. Uh, so has that affected your race at all have you noticed people bringing that up or is that not even really an issue you're hearing about on the campaign trail no there actually are some people that have uh, brought it up they were not aware that straight ticket voting was uh you know is not on there anymore and uh, uh i i knew about that when they had uh, passed it in the legislature and something that it, it was interesting because we you know the democratic party and the republican party had different viewpoints on it and the democrats uh, we, as Democrats, we really saw uh, straight ticket voting as a way that's going to hurt our numbers just because uh, people would go in and check the straight ticket for Republicans. And then we, you know, we wouldn't even be considered in that uh, in their mind. But um, surprisingly, the Republicans uh, were the ones pushing to get rid of straight ticket uh, voting. So, I mean, in my case, I actually support uh, not having straight ticket voting because I feel like that actually helps uh, makes a person research the issues that each candidate is uh, has talked about has proposed on solutions about and um, so I know that uh, straight ticket this is the first time that we're going to have no straight ticket voting and I think it's better just because it does make you think besides political parties okay am I going to vote for this guy because I agree with them or or not vote for this one because I don't agree with them or, or a local versus outsider or whatever it's going to be so uh, I think that uh, getting rid of straight ticket voting is better for our democracy because it makes you think about the candidates and their issues first before any kind of party. 
Uh, well, you know, that that's really kind of an interesting issue that's affected this election. Of course, probably the issue that's affected the election the most is COVID-19, and we spoke about that a moment ago. But, yeah. you know, there are so many things that are happening throughout the cycle that are uh, pretty unique to 2020. One of the things that's so interesting about this particular race as well is you are running against a Republican and a Libertarian for the seat currently held by Representative Thornberry. The Republican candidate is pretty high profile on the cable news scene, um, and I'm sure you've seen a lot of those types of things. And I've also seen what's very interesting is a lot of people on social media who don't even live in the district who are following the race and i see them tweeting you know vote for gus <laughs> because uh they're, they're <laughs> yeah. following what's going on in district 13 so how has it been running in a race that has become slightly more high profile than normal just based on the attention that was given a lot of it due to the runoff how has that affected your campaign? And have you noticed a change coming out of the runoff running in a race with an opponent who's semi-high profile? The, yeah, this uh, campaign has definitely been uh, uh, pretty pretty crazy in itself. Um, but I think that, that that is a major factor because, you know, I would have never thought that me being a first-time candidate running – for office uh, this first time, I would have never thought that I was going to go against a high-profile candidate because, you know, by this point, we know that uh, uh, Mr. Jackson has come here and he uh, uh, was the White House physician for uh, some presidents. But um, I think that uh, just trying, I, I think the first time that I was really trying to get used to being in a high-profile race was when I was on Fox and Friends. This was a while back. And I thought, man, I would have never thought that I was going to be on the Fox and Friends, which is a nationally a syndicated show on Fox News. And and uh, uh, it's like you said, too, the tweets, I do see those tweets or stuff on Facebook where um, there's a lot of outside uh, people who they know of Jackson, uh, uh, whether it's good or bad, of, of what's happening in Washington because of his time up there. And, uh, you know, they tweet their support or they donate. And now I, you know, my, my campaign has been uh, hugely reliant on grassroots donors because uh, I don't have any PACs that give uh, any money to me. And uh, lately, especially lately, we've started to see uh, fundraising go up because of how high profile this race is. And so uh, we get a lot of small donations from around the country. And uh, I mean, I've lost count of how many are from outside the area, but I think it's because a lot of people realize that, you know, it's it's me with a grassroots campaign going against a machine uh, with uh, Jackson's campaign that is is got a lot of money, a lot of influence, um, and and yet they they run as if they're a, or, or acting as if they're a grassroots campaign. But the reality is is that mine is an actual grassroots campaign, and I've even found that out firsthand because I have had to do uh, all these different roles with uh, not only my volunteers, but um, sometimes volunteers can't. Uh, contribute anymore because uh, you know life changes or, or uh, especially with COVID they lose their jobs and now they have to uh, take a different job or whatever so it's it's quite different and uh, I've had to learn uh, firsthand to uh, run a campaign from the ground up and so uh, you know no matter what happens in this race I think I'll have that experience to use with me for the rest of my life and I tell people all the time this has been the hardest thing I've ever done in my life and I think that what 
just complicated it was the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. And so now that we've kind of got things, uh, you know, I think the country is still navigating these waters with COVID, but uh, I think that uh, campaigns are really adapting and, you know, we're resilient and we're learning to adapt um, and get better. And so that's what I've done. I, I know that uh, we've come a long way since, I mean, April, April was a standstill. I couldn't do anything because, you know, fundraising stopped because everybody was unsure of the virus. They were not getting their paychecks and all kinds of things were happening. People were getting laid off or, or what have you. So, um, uh, yeah, this race has, you know, it's thrusted me into the national spotlight. And I think that uh, it's really nice to see that a lot of people that don't even live in our area are wanting someone like me who has a small campaign to actually win and make a difference. Well, I, I want to touch on the fundraising thing you mentioned a moment ago. Your opponent's campaign sent out a email this morning, uh, a press release, and I also just looked at the finance reports uh, for the most recent fundraising period. They reported raising 734000 a little over that, but uh, it was in that neighborhood. Um, have you noticed a big impact from small-dollar donors in your campaign? Uh, because I know that's something a lot of Democrats are talking about all over the country right now. Is that something you're noticing here in Texas's 13th? Well, I, I notice uh, it, but it's not on quite a, a – the, the national races, it's not really on that big of a scale. So, I mean, something – of course, I wouldn't compare myself to uh, Joe Biden, but, like, uh, if there's other Senate races – uh, around the country where Democrats have been getting a lot of money. Uh, I mean, I, I haven't looked at MJ Hager's uh, finances or anything, but I imagine that she's getting quite a bit of money because uh, a lot of grassroots donors are wanting to really turn Texas blue or at least purple. And uh, I mean, with me, I've gotten uh, donations, but I think that what I've seen is that the donations I get, there are a lot of small dollar amounts because uh, there's been multiple instances where someone messages me and says, Hey, you know, I'm, I want to, I'm giving to your campaign, but I can only give you so much because I'm actually donating to this other campaign locally here in my state or here in my, my city. So, um, I, I have noticed that, that there have been a lot more, uh, smaller donations from people who uh, may not even live in our district, but, um, they are uh, very small. So, I, I mean, it's no, my campaign is nowhere near a scale of, of, you know, the $700,000 or whatever Mr. Jackson has, um, I mean, just to tell you, I only have about $7,000 in my account right now. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's very interesting to try and, uh, do a campaign with a very strict budget. And, uh, I think that, uh, that also affects just even having staff. Like I, I don't even have any paid staff. So I rely, uh, solely on volunteers who are, are local and they want to make a difference here. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, you know, there are a lot of issues that are in the public consciousness right now, uh, and some of them are being addressed here in the race, and Texas is 13th. Of course, I think that uh, the race is probably not as hands-on as some voters like because of, you know, the coronavirus, but uh, I think the candidates are doing the best they can. I know you had the, the yard sign drive up. Uh, when you first got your signs in and some things like that. So, yeah. you know, there's been there's been some ways you've been reaching out to voters, but on the issues that are affecting uh, voters here in the 13th District that are part of the national conversation, if you wouldn't mind, I mean, just kind of tell people who are listening to this, what separates you, what issues separate you uh, from your opponents, and why should those matter to voters when they're casting their ballots this year? 
Well, I guess uh, I'll start with the first uh, uh, big one that was very, even before the COVID-19 pandemic, it was a big issue. And now it's even more prevalent is, is healthcare. Uh, I think it's the, the affordability and the access to healthcare for our district is still uh, number one. Um, And uh, we are, are seeing that now, especially uh, with this pandemic, because uh, the thing that people may not realize is that if you get COVID-19, it's not like you're going to have all your bills paid and you're in the clear and, you know, you survive the virus and, and then you're going to have this huge debt to pay. So that's already going to continue the bankrupting of, of people uh, just because they have high healthcare costs. And um, so it shouldn't be like that in this country. And uh, I think that what differentiates me with uh, Mr. Jackson and uh, uh, some of the Republican party is that uh, right now the, the president and uh, some other Republicans in Congress and the Senate want to actually kill the affordable care act because they've been saying for a long time that it's not a good law and everything. And, you know, uh, Democrats like me, we acknowledge that the law is not perfect but it is a great start. It's a great framework because, uh, I mean, I think that uh, a lot of us who follow politics remember how uh, John McCain, who did that uh, famous vote where he put his thumb down to keep uh, Obamacare active, that really showed a moment where, okay, this is something that is uh, uh, bipartisan where we can actually work together to uh, make sure that everybody has uh, access to high quality health care. And I think that uh, Mr. McCain Senator McCain understood the importance of that. That's why he he voted his way. So I think that, you know, with me, I really want to, uh, when I go into Congress, I would plan to join the force of uh, keeping uh, accessibility and affordability and making afford- uh, health care affordable for every American. Because I think that, you know, people that are afraid of, of this health care issue, you know, uh, let's say that they're thinking it's going to be a national government take takeover of healthcare. It's actually not going to be like that um, because I would support a plan where people can either keep their employer-based healthcare or they can uh, go and buy into a system and of course uh, into a national system. Uh, But of course there are going to be people who can't afford healthcare and they're going to need help because if we don't help them and they're actually going to the emergency room to do basic services that's going to go back to the tax, uh, to our tax dollars being spent on those people. So we have to have a much better system in place that's going to be a more affordable and accessible healthcare. And uh, I think uh, the other part too is in our district, we rely heavily on the agriculture industry. And it's not only here, but it's in the entire nation that we rely on farmers uh, to actually uh, have a lot of major exports on the world market. And uh, with the uh, President Trump's trade policies, those have been just devastating to our farmers. And so uh, a lot of farmers have, you know, before the pandemic hit, there was bankruptcies, but now we're seeing it on a scale like we've never seen before. And uh, we have to continue to provide relief to those farmers, but also we have to allow them to uh, be able to get into the market easier. I mean, they, we, our number one export in the United States is is agricultural goods, and it should be easy for our farmers to uh, be able to continue doing that and at prices that they would like to see. I mean, I, it never made sense to me of why, uh, you know, the prices were set with um, uh, farming uh, product with uh, agriculture products by a bunch of guys in suits. I mean, if there's a bunch of guys in suits in a room, there has to be at least half of those are actual farmers because they know what's uh, what's going on. They've been in the and the whole of crux of this thing. So I think that those are the two two major issues. And um, uh, and another one that's you know I think that differentiates me with 
Mr. Jackson, is that, you know, we have this, um, right now we have a, a divide in our country that it, it has been uh, exacerbated, this division by our president. I am not a big fan of uh, President Trump, and uh, I only I would say I only agree on him on the, about 20% of the things he does, uh, but uh, 80% or possibly even 90% I don't agree on. Um, and one of the biggest things is his sowing of division in our country, because, I mean, this country was, uh, we were very united before the uh, uh, 2016 election happened, but there were some, you know, some cracks here and there that uh, are now full-on exposed, and it seems like they're exposed for two reasons. And I think that is, you know, we have to come to terms of, okay, how are we all going to live together, united as Americans, and respect one another? One another? And uh, uh, we have to do that with a president, uh, with a Congress, with a, a, a Senate that's going to unite us and not divide us. And so, I am not a big fan of Mr. Trump. And I, I mean, you've probably seen my signs where I have stamps on there that says not endorsed by Trump. So I know that uh, my opponent really loves Trump and I do not like him. And I know that there's some some voters that um, uh, in our area, they voted quite a bit of them voted for Mr. Trump. But I think at this point, it's interesting to see how the presidential election is going, because I truly do not think that Mr. Trump is going to get reelected and therefore we are going to have to work with a Democratic president, but also we're still going to have the power in the House. The Democrats are. That's nearly impossible to flip in this race because it was already flipped to the Democrats' favor in uh, 2018. So, I mean, I, I won't uh, get close to a, pre a president that's basically about to be outgoing out of office and, you know, whatever connections Mr. Jackson has or whatever, those are going to be null and void because they're going to be gone. And uh, I think that the people of this district really have to consider if they've never voted for a Democrat, they have to really think, OK, do I want to vote for a Democrat this next go around? Because truly, it's in the best interest of the district since we'll be in the power that is uh, in the House. Uh, it's going to still be in there and uh, plus a, a Democratic president. So we still have plenty of time to vote if people haven't made it out yet. Can you just kind of tell them, uh, the people who are listening, when is early voting? How long does it run? When is election day? And if they want to find their polling place, how can they do that? Yeah, uh, early voting is uh, actually, it happened about two days ago when they started. Sorry, I'm actually getting my little handout here. I have all these dates on here. Um, but uh, early voting started on uh, the 13th. So that was about two days ago. And that goes on until October 30th. And so that's an extra week. So a total of three weeks, basically, of early voting in Texas has been done because of uh, COVID-19. And already we're hearing about long lines for that. So I do encourage people to early vote. Um, election Day is uh, on uh, November 3rd, that first Tuesday of November. And um, let me see, the best website to find out if you're even registered or where you need to vote. And uh, I know in Amarillo, um, for example, there's... Uh, uh, at least in Potter County, where you can actually vote at different polling places, but that's not always uh, the case. So I would encourage people to go to votetexas.gov to actually look up if they're registered and where they need to vote, because they may have one specific location that they can vote at. So you don't want to show up to a polling place, wait in line for hours, and then find out, oh, you can't vote here. Because I know it used to be like that a couple of years ago where I lived, but now uh, they let you vote wherever. So um, but yeah, November 3rd is the, the big day, the final day that we'll find out everything. But early voting is going on now until October 30th. 
So you have plenty of time to get out and vote. Uh, and Gus, if someone wants to learn more about you, how can they do that? Uh, the best way is to go to my website, which is uh, GusTrujillo.com, and that's T-R-U-J-I-L-L-O. And there's uh, plenty of links on there that show my Ballotpedia page. I know that's a big political page with our issues. Uh, Facebook, I'm very active on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, and then, of course, Twitter. You have a lot of people tweeting about me, so that's on there. Excellent. So there are a lot of options if you want to learn about the candidates and you have plenty of time to vote, so make sure you get out and you do that. Gus, uh, we really appreciate you being on here this evening, and uh, hopefully we will be talking again soon. Yeah, well, thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much to my listeners and to my guests this week, as always. For those of you who want to learn more about what's going on in the Texas panhandle, we encourage you to go to www.amarillopioneer.com for all of your local news needs, including election coverage and what's going on in your communities. Amarillopioneer.com or Amarillo Pioneer on social media, Facebook, Twitter, wherever you check. Until next week, thank you very much for joining us, and we hope that you have a wonderful West Texas week.